With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On June 3, 1993, Jesse Lloyd Miss Kelly Jr. was 17 years old. Jesse was held back a grade in school on two different occasions and dropped out in the ninth grade. He had a mixed reputation. He was known to be a sweet boy who loved children. He often babysat kids in his trailer park and even used to watch David Jacoby's kids on occasion. Most who knew Jesse would describe him as simple. His father even referred to him as slow-minded in the documentary West of Memphis. However, in contrast to Jesse's simple and sweet disposition, he also had a reputation for being a fighter. Jesse was short in stature at just over five foot tall, and he loved to show people how tough he was. It was nothing for Jesse to spend the afternoon babysitting a group of kids and then the evening picking fights. In regards to Jesse's mental capacity, he was assessed before the trial by a Dr. William Wilkins. Dr. Wilkins spent over 10 hours assessing Jesse's mental competence on three different occasions. Part of Wilkins' evaluation included a standard IQ test. Jesse's results were a full-scale IQ of 72, with a verbal IQ of 70, and a performance IQ of 75. To put that into perspective, according to the scales derived from Rising and Block, only about 2% of the population has an IQ of 69 or lower. Jesse falls into the next category, along with 6.4% of the population, cognitively impaired. The ranges of scores included in the cognitive impairment category are from 70 to 79. Jesse Miss Kelly falls squarely in the middle of that range. Prior to Wilkins' evaluation, Jesse had been evaluated on at least three other occasions. His IQ scores were consistent with Wilkins' findings, respectively 67, 70, and 73. In every instance, Jesse fell within or below the cognitive impairment category. Wilkins stated on the record that what he considers to be, quote, average intelligence would be in the score range from 84 to 116. Wilkins continued on to explain that after assessing Jesse himself and reviewing 10 years of his academic records, he concluded that Jesse never exceeded a second or third grade level of education. From the transcript, quote, Consistently throughout his educational records, Jesse has reached maximum level of about the second or third grade. My current testing indicated third, beginning fourth grade for those skills. He's never passed the Arkansas minimum standards test. 
looking at previous from about 10 different measurements over the years of a pretty consistent pattern of second, third, or fourth grade level. While this hearing was intended to determine if Jesse was competent to stand trial, our focus today is to establish his mental capacity and ability to withstand an aggressive and suggestive police interrogation. At the hearing, Wilkins summarized Jesse's ability to reason as follows, quote, Jesse tends to fit into the child thinking category. That is, Jesse constructs reality on kind of about the same that a six or seven-year-old child would, end quote. We don't know exactly what time Jesse arrived at the West Memphis Police Department on June 3rd. We know that he did not have a parent or a lawyer present, and he filled out a subject description form at 10 o'clock in the morning. Presumably, he arrived before that. At 11 a.m., Jesse signed a form waiving his rights to an attorney. We can assume that this is when the questioning began. Throughout the day, Jesse submitted to giving fingerprints, biological samples, and a polygraph examination. His father consented to all of this over the phone and was not present. Throughout the day, Jesse maintained that he had no knowledge of the murders all the way into the early afternoon hours when he took a polygraph examination. The test was administered by Bill Durham. Jesse was asked five relevant questions during the exam. He answered no to all five questions. Number one, have you ever been in Robin Hood Hills? Number two, have you ever took part in devil worship? Number three, have you ever attended a devil worship ceremony in the Terrell Twist area? Number four, are you involved in the murder of those three boys? And number five, do you know who killed those three boys? As I said, Jesse answered no to all five of these questions. And Durham's analysis was that Jesse was, and I quote, lying his ass off. Jesse was told that he failed the polygraph test. However, a later analysis of the charts by world-renowned expert Warren Holmes reported that there was no deception indicated. Jesse was actually being truthful, according to the test, when he answered all of the relevant questions and only showed any indications of deception when he said that he had never used drugs, which was a control question. Nonetheless, Jesse was informed that the officers knew that he was there during the murders because, quote, his mind told them so. The bottom of Durham's report reads, quote, This subject made no admissions to this examiner, but did give a statement of admission to Inspector Gitchell and Detective Ridge following this test. Jesse had been at the police station for over four and a half hours when the tape was turned on and Gary Gitchell and Brian Ridge recorded his confession. In today's episode, we're going to do something that, to my knowledge, has never been done. You see, the problem with any expert analysis is that the conclusions are just opinions, and opinions can always be argued. Very few people actually take the time to read or listen to the evidence being analyzed for themselves. But today, you are the expert. As I began my analysis of Jesse's statements, I realized that there are too many important details to just give a summary after it's over. Everyone needs to dissect this interview point by point, and that is what we're about to do. 
After a short break for an ad, we're going to walk through, together, a point-by-point, blow-by-blow analysis of Jesse Miss Kelly's police interviews that led to the arrests and the convictions of himself, Damien Eccles, and Jason Baldwin. The interview is uncut and unedited. I will be pausing the interview to discuss each point along the way, but nothing has been removed or added. If you want to hear the full interview uninterrupted, it is available on the Callahan website. So get your pen and paper handy, and let's begin the first ever crowdsource statement analysis right after the break. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Detective Brian Ridge of the West Memphis Police Department, currently in the West Memphis Police Department, conducting an investigation for the offense of triple homicide, case file number 9305-0666. Currently in the office with Jesse Lloyd, Miss Kelly Jr., birth date 17 of 75, education as a ninth grade. The place we are in the detective division, today's date, is 6-3 of 93. The time now is 2.44 p.m. Present in the interview will be Inspector Gary Gitchell and Jesse Miss Kelly. Jesse, in front of me, I have a rights form. Here the detectives confirm that Jesse has waived all of his rights and is willing to interview without an attorney present. We're about to get into the interview and right off the bat, listen closely for some of the things that Tim Clemente told us to look for. Is Jesse in a hurry to get from the beginning of the narrative to the end, or does he give us chronological details? And is the information that he's giving coming from him, or is he just repeating whatever Ridge says to him? The first glaring issue that you're going to hear is the fact that Jesse says that the murders occurred early in the morning on Wednesday, May 5th. Now that's old news to most, but listen closely as to why Jesse says the murders happened so early in the morning. Ridge begins by asking Jesse to recount his day, and he says the words, quote, It was early in the morning. What Ridge means is for him to begin his story with a full account of his day. Jesse, however, as Tim Clemente told us to watch out for, is trying to figure out what Ridge wants him to say. He interprets Ridge's words to mean that he's supposed to say that the murders occurred early in the morning. Listen to what happens 
and then continue listening for how many times in the first minute or so Jesse simply repeats exactly what Ridge says to him. It was a little patch of woods, a little patch of woods. Behind the blue beacon, right there behind the blue beacon. All right, now back to the interview. Okay, Jesse, let's, let's go straight to that date, 5-5 of 93, a Wednesday, early in the morning. You received a phone call, is that correct? Yes, I did. And who made that phone call? Jason Baldwin. All right, what occurred? What did he talk about? They called me and asked me could I go uh, go to West Memphis with him, and I told him no, I had to work and stuff, and then he told me he had to go to West Memphis, so him and Damien went, then I went with him. All right, when? Wednesday. All right, when did you go with him? <coughs> that morning. At 9 o'clock in the morning? Yes, I did. Okay. I went with them, and then I... Uh, now, were you in a car? Whose car were we on? We walked. Y'all walked? Okay. Right, we walked, and then... Uh, where did you go? Went up to Robin Hood. You went to the Robin Hood. Explain to me where those woods are. About a uh, Blue Bacon truck wash. Just a little patch of woods. A little patch of woods. Behind Blue Bacon? Behind it. Right back there behind it. Okay. What occurred while you were there? When I was there, I saw Damien hit this one, hit this one boy real bad. And then, uh, now he started screwing him and stuff. And then, uh, alright, you've got in front of you. Here we go, right from the beginning. At this point, Jesse has been telling his story for exactly one minute. And he has already jumped from getting a call early in the morning to Damien beating one of the boys and, quote, screwing him and stuff. Not only do we have the factual error of the alleged rape, the boys had not, in fact, been, quote, screwed. But this is exactly what Tim told us to look for in a false confession. A rush to get from beginning to end with no details in between. This is an obvious indication of deception. We also witness, here within the first minute of the interview, Ridge breaking rule number one. Jesse is giving his narrative, and he's not done. Jesse says, quote, and then, uh, and Ridge immediately interrupts him. So we're a minute in, and we have Jesse already giving telltale signs of a false confession, and Ridge breaking all the rules by suggesting a narrative and interrupting him while he's trying to give his own. Not a good start. We still have over 30 minutes to go. Let's jump in right before Ridge interrupts Jesse. When I was there, I saw Damien hit this one, hit this one boy real bad. And then, uh, now he started screwing him and stuff. And then, uh, all right, you've got in front of you a picture that was taken out of the newspaper, I believe. It's got three boys, and these are the three boys that were killed on that date in Robin Hood Woods. Okay, which one of those three boys is it you say Damien hit? The third picture, which will be... This boy right here? Yeah. All right, that's uh, the buyer's boy. That's who you're pointing at? Mm -hmm. If you read the caption, the grizzly slaying from left, eight-year-old Michael Moore, Stephen Branch, and Christopher Byers. Okay. So you saw Damien strike Chris Byers in the head. 
What did he hit him with? Here we have Jesse mixing up Chris Byers and Michael Moore, but more importantly, notice how Ridge just added a detail to Jesse's story. Jesse said in the first segment, quote, Damien hit this one boy real bad and started screwing him and stuff, end quote. He doesn't say where he hit him, just that he hit him real bad. We just heard Ridge tell Jesse that he had told him that Damien hit Chris in the head. Take note of that and watch how Jesse will include this detail in his narrative as he continues from here on out. He hit him with his fist and bruised him all up real bad. And then uh, Jason turned around and hit Steve Branch. Okay. And started doing the same thing. Then the other one took off. Michael uh, Moore took off running. So I chased him and grabbed him and held him to they got there and then I left. Okay. Alright. When you get the boys back together, where are you at from the creek? I was up by the uh, service road. Up by the service road? Okay. Now when this when he hits the first boy, where are they at when he when he hits him? Are you in the woods? You on the side of the big bow? You out in the field? Where you I at? I was in the woods. In the woods. Okay, you've been down there in those woods before. So Can you describe to me what in those woods? What's the location where you were? Uh, Is there a path you go down? I was down a little path. All right. Where does that path go to? It leads out there, close to the uh, field, close to the interstate. Okay. Stuff where I was at. When he hits the first boy. Here we have a number of problems. First, Ridge tells Jesse that he had been in the woods before. That information doesn't come from Jesse. Also, when Jesse has the opportunity to answer an open-ended question, he has no idea what the right answer is. In a matter of seconds, he says he was up by the service road while Jason and Damien had all three boys together. We know that there's no way that he could see down into the ditch from the service road. Ridge tries to clue him in that that's not the correct location by interrupting and asking him to further explain where he was in the woods. Jesse is still confused, so Ridge helps him out. Listen to this part again, where Ridge makes the suggestion that they were near a path, and Jesse repeats it right back to him. Although Jesse thinks that the path leads to the interstate rather than towards the pipe bridge. Can you describe to me what in those woods, what's the location where you were? Uh, is there a path you go down? I was down a little path. All right, where does that path go to? It leads out there close to the uh, field, close to the interstate. Okay. Stuff where I was at. All right. I was close by the interstate. When he hits the first boy, and then Jason hits another boy, and one takes off running, where does he run to? That one, he runs out, going out the, out the park, not chased him and grabbed him and brought him back. Which way does he go, I mean? Does he go on back towards where he, the houses he, he are? Is he back. going to Blue Beacon? Is he going out towards the field? He Where's he running to? Towards the houses. Towards the houses. Where the pipe is that goes across the water? Yeah. Okay. He ran out there and I, and I called him and brought him back. And then I took off. The portion of Jesse's narrative that you just heard is completely nonsensical. So he says he's by the interstate, by the field, by a park. Then Michael ran toward the neighborhood while he's up by the interstate, but Jesse catches him and brings him back. Now, listen to how Ridge completely starts building his own narrative here. 
Jesse ended that last segment by saying that he brought Michael back to Damien and Jason, and then he left. Ridge here tells Jesse that he came back later and the boys were tied up. Jesse has not said a single word about coming back, nor has he said anything about the boys being naked or bound. All of that information is about to come from Ridge, not Jesse. But as Tim Clementi told us last week, you're going to hear Jesse going right along with it. Well, you came back a little bit later, and all three boys are tied. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And I took off and went home. All right. Have they got their clothes on when you saw them tied? They had them off. They had already gotten them off. When he first hit the boy, when Damien first hit the first boy, did they have their clothes on then? Mm-hmm. All right. When did they take their clothes off? Right, right after they beat up all three of them and beat them up real bad. Beat them up real bad. And then they took their clothes off. Mm-hmm. And then, I, then they tied them. Then they tied them up, tied their hands up. They start screwing them and stuff, cutting them and stuff. And I saw it and I turned around and looked. And then I took off running. I went home. And then they called me and asked me how come I didn't stay. I told them I just couldn't. Just couldn't stay for them? I couldn't stand to see what they was doing to them. Okay. Now, when it's going on, when it's taking place, you under you saw somebody with a knife. Who had a knife? Jason. Jason had a knife. What did he cut with a knife? What did you see him cut, or who did you see him cut? I saw him cut one of the little boys. All right, where did he cut him at? He was cutting him in the face. Cutting him in the face. All right. Another boy was cut, I understand. Where was he cut at? At the bottom. On his bottom? At this point, Ridge could care less about what Jesse's telling him. He is now blatantly feeding Jesse the information that he wants him to pare it back. Jesse began with Damien hit one boy and was, quote, screwing him and stuff, and he left. To now, he chased down Michael Moore and brought him back from the opposite end of the woods, and then he left. Ridge told him that he came back and that the boys were tied. Ridge told him that he saw someone with a knife. He asked Jesse where Jason cut the boys, and Jesse says on the face. Ridge makes clear that that's not the answer that he's looking for. So he asks where else Jason cut the boy. Jesse, obviously confused, says in the bottom. What Ridge wants Jesse to say is that he witnessed the emasculation of Chris Byers. Listen to this and pay close attention to how Ridge and Gitchell guide Jesse into that narrative. Was he face down and he was cutting on him or? He was. Are you talking about bottom? Do you mean right here? Mm-hmm. In his growing mm-hmm. area? Okay. So right, you know what his penis is? Yeah. That's where he was cut at. That's where he was cut. Which and boy was that? That right there. The, you're talking about the buyer's boy mm-hmm. again? Okay. Are you sure that he was the one that was cut? That's the one I seen him cutting on. Okay. Right, do you know what a penis is? Yes. All right. Is that where he was cutting? That's why I seen him going down that. And he was on his back. I seen him going down like it real close to his penis and stuff. And I saw some blood and that's when I took off. I've heard so many people say that Jesse knew details of the crime that no one could know unless they were there. You just heard how much he, quote, knew. After Ridge told him that there was a knife, Jesse says that he saw them cutting one of the boys' face. Then Ridge and Gitchell, after making sure that the 17-year-old knows what a penis is, 
moved the cutting from the face all the way down to Chris Byer's genitals. Once Jesse realizes that that's what he's supposed to say, he then sticks with it. Now listen to how the detectives, quote, help Jesse remember where all of this took place. Up to this point, Jesse has made no mention of any creek. Ridge doesn't even risk letting Jesse guess at the location of the murders. He straight up tells him where the murders happened, down by the small creek. He narrows Jesse's options down from, quote, where did this happen, to, quote, which side of the little creek were you on, without Jesse even getting a word in edgewise. Was, uh, were y'all close to the creek at that point? Yes. Where, where was the little boy actually at? He was close. About... All right, you know where the bio is. Right. All right, and you know where the little creek is that goes out to the expressway. And doesn't have a lot of water in it, but it's got some water in it, and it's flowing through there. Which side of that creek were you on? Were you on the Memphis side of the creek, or were you on the Blue Beacon side of that creek? Blue Beacon. On the Blue Beacon. So there's like a tall bank. Were you? Where were you at on that bank? I was up there, standing up on top. All right, stuff. where were they at? They was at the bottom. On... The, Which side? The Memphis side. They were on the Memphis side. I was on the All right, we're going to correct that even further. That's the east side. Memphis side is the east side. And you were standing at the top of the bank on the west side. Were you looking down at what was going on? I was looking down. After I seen all that, I took off. Okay. And when you left, did you hear any more hollering or anything? No. All right. I'm going to try to stop interrupting every minute, but I have to say here that this is the most blatant, obvious example of a coerced false confession that I've ever heard. If this was a true confession, Jesse would be the one describing the scene in detail. He would say what his viewpoint was. He would say what he was seeing and feeling. Instead, the detectives are filling in all of those details for him. It doesn't take a rocket science to take note that every time the officers make a suggestion... Jesse parrots their words right back to them. And also, as Tim Clementi said, in a false confession, the subject will continually try to get to the end of the story because it's uncomfortable to lie. Someone giving a false narrative just wants the process to be over. And for the fourth time now, we just heard Jesse again try to end his story and tell Ridge that he left at that point. And here we see Ridge trying to circle back to the biggest flaw in Jesse's statement. He told them at the beginning of the interview that it was early in the morning when the murders occurred. Listen in as Ridge walks that time frame back. He just keeps making suggestions, and Jesse just keeps agreeing with him. You went home. And about what time was it that all this was taking place? They called me about... I'm not saying when they called you. I'm saying what time was it that you were actually there in the park? I was there about 12. About noon? Okay. Was it after school? Had let out? I didn't go to school. What, these no, other boys? No. They, they skipped school. They skipped school? They was going to catch their bus or stuff and they was on their bikes so all right they were on their bikes where were their bikes at they they laid their bikes down when they came out there to the when they when they hollered for them told them to come out there they where, 
where did they lay their bikes down? That's what I'm asking. I don't know where they laid their bikes at down there. Because I was, I was behind Damien and them, way, way behind them. Okay. And when they hollered, then I seen them boys. Little boys came on over. Mm -hmm. Had Damien seen these boys before? Yes. Has he done things with them before? Or has he just been watching them? He's has he had watching, sex with them before? Them. Has he ever had sex with any of them before? No, he's been watching them. He's been watching them. You mentioned earlier that at one of the meetings you went to with this cult thing, they had some pictures. Describe those pictures for me. They had, had some houses, the trees and stuff. Okay. Had somebody taken pictures of these boys? Mm -hmm. Were they in the houses or were they in these trees when they took those pictures? They were at the houses. At the houses. Did they take like one picture of one boy? It was in a group. Always three? It was a group of pictures of three. All okay. three of them. All three of them would generally be together. Mm -hmm. How many pictures did you see all together? I just saw one. Okay. And it had these same three boys in it? Mm-hmm. You're certain of that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Nate, did you say the boys skipped school that day? These little boys did? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? They was going to catch up, going somewhere, and like I said, David, Damien and them left before I did. I told them I'd meet them there and stuff. I had to get ready and stuff. I'd meet them there. And it was early in the morning, so... They went ahead and meet, met me up. They went ahead and went up there, and then I came up, you know, later on behind them. What time did you get there? I got there about 9. In the morning? Mm-hmm. Of Wednesday morning? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when, what time is it right now? Right now? Yeah. You don't know what time it is? Do you not wear a watch? It's at home. My so... Dad, my dad woke me up this morning. Your time period might not be exactly right what you're saying right. but it it was like early in the day but you don't know exactly what time okay because we got i've got some real confusion with the times you're telling me but now this nine o'clock in the evening call that you've got explain that to me well after all the stuff happened that night that they'd done it okay i went home about noon then they called me Okay. Nine o'clock at that night, they called me. Okay. And what did they tell you on the telephone? They asked me how come I left so early and stuff. And I told them I couldn't stand there watching it no more, so I had to do something to get out of there. Okay. <laughs> Who called you? Jason. And you mentioned you heard some voice in the background? I heard some Damien. And what else? Yeah. Uh, I think you said that he made the call from his house? He made a call from his house, and Damien was hollering in the background and said, we done it, we done it. What we're going to do if somebody saw us, what we're going to do? Okay. Now, the knives, was there one knife, two knives? Was your knife there? Mm -hmm. Did somebody take you and use your knife? Do you have a knife? I got one knife. Where is it at? It's at home. Okay. The knife that... You said Jason was using? Mm -hmm. Where is it? I don't, I don't know what he done with it, because after I left, then that's when, I don't know what they done with it. After I left, I don't know what they he done with it. He didn't tell you he hit it somewhere? Yeah, I, I got a feeling here. You're not quite 
telling me everything. Now we're, you know, we are recording everything. So this is very, very important to tell us the entire truth. If you were there the whole time, then tell us you were there the whole time. Don't leave anything out. This is very, very important. Now just tell us the truth. I was there until they tied them up. And then that's when I left. After they tied them up, I left. But you saw them cutting on the boys. I saw them cutting on them. And then so they what, laid, what else left is there they after laid, that? They laid the knife down beside them. And I saw them tying them up. And then that's when I left. Were the boys conscious or were they? They was unconscious then. Unconscious. And okay. then after I left, they done more. They done more? They started screwing them again. Okay. How were they screwing them when you saw them? They were, Jason stuck his in one of them's mouth, and Damien was screwing one of them up the ass and stuff. Okay. Okay, so we have a lot of factual errors here. Again, Jesse says that Damien was, quote, screwing one of the boys up the ass. And we, of course, know that that's not true. But besides the obvious factual errors, just look at all of the signs that this story is completely made up. Tim told us last week that a good litmus test is to ask the subject to repeat the narrative out of chronological order. And as you're hearing, Jesse can't do it. He is completely confused. At one point, he said that he left after he returned Michael to Damien and Jason and returned later to see the boys nude and tied up. And now he says that he watched them tie the boys up. And now he was in the woods at 9 a.m. The victims had skipped school, and they were there by noon. He left around noon, but Jason called him at 9, which was a detail completely fabricated by Ridge. Ridge tells him that there was a voice in the background, and Jesse agrees that Damien was in the background. And now Damien was passing around a photo of the three boys at a cult meeting, as he described several different pictures until was led to say that all three boys were in the only one picture that he ever saw. He saw Damien and Jason beckon the boys into the woods, and he saw the boys lay their bikes down, but doesn't know where they laid the bikes down. He does, however, know something about the boys missing their school bus, but Ridge cuts him off every time he tries to mention it. To say the least, at this point, the interview has gone from bad to worse, and the detectives still need to get Jesse's timeline pushed back to at least after 6.30 p.m., Ridge has already used the word night a few times to try to push Jesse in that direction. He's using a brilliant tactic of telling Jesse that that's what he had said earlier, even though he had said nothing of the sort. Another huge indicator of a false confession. Allowing the interviewer to change the details in your narrative. Listen here to how quickly Jesse changes his story from no one raping Chris Byers to Jason raping him. Alright, and the one that they were cutting the penis off of, did any of them are cutting the penis or whatever was being done? Did they have sex with him at all? No. Did either one of them? Ja- uh, Jason did. Jason did. Jason was screwing him while Damien stuck his in his mouth, the boy's mouth. Okay. How did he have sex with that one? Damien, he was holding him down, like. Uh huh. Jason had his legs up in the air and that little boy was kicking, saying, don't, don't, like that. Okay. He had his legs up in the air. Now remember, earlier Jesse said that by the time he saw the boys with their clothes off, they were already unconscious. Yet now, Chris Byers is screaming while he's being raped after Jesse said that he wasn't raped. Next, you're about to hear Ridge circle back to the bindings. Earlier in the interview, Ridge told Jesse that the boys were tied up. 
Jesse went along with this and said that their hands were tied. Listen to Ridge trying to get him to say that their feet were bound too. All right. What was to keep these little boys from running off? If just their hands are tied, what's to keep them from running off? They beat them up so bad, well, they can't hardly move. They haven't tied, had their hands tied down. Right, just you, sit on them. You said they had their hands tied up, tied down. Were their hands tied in a fashion to where they couldn't have run? You tell me. They, they could run, they just had them tied. When they knock them down, and stuff, they can hold their arms and stuff and, and sit, hold them down like when he couldn't raise up and the other one pick his legs up. Okay. So they had them under control. You were there the whole time that was taking place? That was there. Okay. One of them was cut on the face real bad. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. And one of them was being cut on his penis. Yes, sir. All right. Did you ever use, did anyone use a stick and hit the boys with? Damien had kind of a big old stick when he hit that first one. After he hit him with his fist, knocked him down, then he got him a big old stick and hit him. What did the stick look like? I mean, was it like a, 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 a big log like that, or is it or is it a stick? I'll say it was about that, about that big around. I'll say about that long. Okay. About the size of a baseball bat, maybe just a little bit bigger around. Yeah. That's, size That's what you described with your hands, right? Right. Okay. How long was the knife that Jason was using? All right. You're describing a knife that would be about six inches long. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And what kind of blade did it have on it? a regular, just a regular knife blade. Was it a knife that you fold up or was it a like a hunting knife that's just a, one piece? Just, you fold up knife. It was a folding knife? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, does Damien have a knife? No. He doesn't have one? He didn't have one that night? He didn't have one that night. Did he borrow yours? No, he didn't borrow mine. Okay. Did they have a briefcase with them? Didn't, you didn't see a briefcase? I didn't see a briefcase. Not unless they left it there that that day before it happened. Not unless they left it there then, but I didn't see it down there that day. Have you ever seen them with a briefcase before? I seen it that one night. I seen it with them that night. Okay. What What is kept inside that briefcase? They had some cocaine and a little gun. Is that where you first saw the pictures mm -hmm. of the boys? I didn't like so. And you saw the pictures in the briefcase? Mm -hmm. I've heard when we had that cult. Okay. Now you have participated in this cult, right? Yes. How long have you been involved in it? Been in about three months. Okay. What is, tell me some of the things y'all do typically in the woods in, as being in this cult. We go out, kill dogs and stuff and then kill girls out there. All right, what do you do with the girls when you're out there? We screw them and stuff. Does just everybody take turns? Everybody. And, and all have the origin and stuff like that. Okay. 
When you kill a dog, what do you do with it? We, we usually skin it, build a little bonfire and eat it and stuff. Okay, when you're initiating somebody new to come into it, come into a cult, what actually is done to initiate that person into the cult? We usually, we usually, you know, kill an animal, you know, see if he knows know how to handle the meat and stuff. After we kill it, see if he knows if he can't handle it, then he don't get in. Okay, so he kills an animal. You mentioned earlier that he may have to eat part of that animal. What part of the animal would he eat? Part of his, uh, meat off his leg. Meat off his leg. And if, he, if he can't eat it, then he don't, he don't get in. Doesn't get into the club. Now, on these these meetings, have they ever been violent? Anybody got mad and got in a fight? No. Okay. All of this cult talk is just distraction. They're trying to confuse Jesse and distance himself from his previous incorrect narrative so that they can implant the correct details. Listen to this next part and remember, Jesse said that the murders took place at 9 a.m., Later, Ridge got him to say that the boys skipped school and the murders happened at noon. Here, Ridge moves the timeline back again to, quote, the night that you were in the woods, end quote. Listen. The night you were in these woods, um, had y'all been in the water? Yeah, we were in the water. We were playing around in it. You were playing around in the water? Alright, what were you doing in the water? Besides just playing, I mean, did the little boys, had they been in the water? Did they get in the water they, with they, y'all? No, they didn't get in the water with us. Okay, what were you doing in the water? We were just sitting there, throwing stuff at each other. Okay, were y'all having sex? No, I wasn't. You weren't? No. Was Damien and Jason having sex? They, they take turns going up under the water. Going under the water? What were they doing under the water? Uh, they, they sit so far away, they they go up in the water stay for about, i say about five, ten seconds, and then come up, and the other one go down. Okay. So they were just messing around in the water. All right, they called for these boys to come over there? Yeah, they, they seen the boys and then they hollered. Damien hollered. Say, hey, and the boys came out there. Did they call them by name? Uh-uh, they just hollered and then they just showed up. Where did the boys put their bikes? Right, close right where they right there before you come in. They laid it down right there. And I don't know what, after I left, I don't know what they did with the bikes. You didn't do anything to the bikes at all? No. Are you sure? Positive. You didn't touch the bikes? I didn't touch them. Right. You've been back to this place since that murder, mm-hmm. since it took time to place. What did you do while you were there? I'll be truthful. I'll sit down there. I'll just sit there after what they did to the boys. I'll just sit there. And did what? Just thought what they what happened to them real bad. I just thought. 
Okay. And then I left and stuff. And stuff. I just left and walked, walked on. When did you go back there? About two or three days after it happened. And I left. Were you there by yourself? I was there by myself. Did you go there with some more boys once? Just me, David, and Dennis. To that particular place? No. Not to that okay. Listen to what happens here when the detectives ask Jesse if he would be able to go to the crime scene and show them where the murders happened. His entire demeanor changes, and he starts adding qualifiers like, uh, not that I know of. This is a textbook example of someone setting themselves up for failure, trying to explain away the fact that they don't actually know where any of this happened. As a side note, as far as I know, the video of Jesse at the crime scene does not exist. Either the trip never happened, or the West Memphis PD didn't want anyone to see it. Back to the interview. Are you willing to go down there with us and us have a camcorder and you show us where these things took place? Could you do that? Wouldn't have any problem with that. Huh? But you would be able to point out where these things took place, mm -hmm. which way the boys came from, mm -hmm. and where y'all were when he hollered for the boys, and stuff like that. You wouldn't have any problem with that? Because after, after the murder and stuff, like I said, about two or three days later after it happened, I went and I thought about it, and I haven't been there since. Okay. Let me ask you something. This is real serious, and I want you to be real truthful. And I want... I want I want you to think about it before you answer it. Don't just say yes or no real quick. I want you to think about it. Did you actually hit any of these boys? No. Now tell us the truth. No. Okay. Did you actually rape any of these boys? No. Did you actually kill any of these boys? No. Did you see any of the boys actually killed? Yes. Okay. Which one did you see killed? That right there. That's your pointing to the buyer's boy again? Mm -hmm. Okay. And how was he actually killed? I just, I choked him real bad like. Choking him? What was he choking him with? It's like a little, like a stick. It's a little stick and kind of holding it over his neck. Okay, so he was choking him to the point to where he actually went unconscious. So at that point, you feel like he was dead. Yeah. Okay. Here is another glaring factual error. There is no utility in this lie. Not like Jesse's trying to distance himself here. He's telling the officers that he witnessed Chris Byers being killed. The manner of death is inconsequential to his involvement. Yet he says Christopher was killed by being strangled. First he says with hands, and then later with a stick over his throat. But none of the boys were strangled, and none showed any damage to their hyoid bone. This is simply a factual error clearly offered up by someone who has no real knowledge of what actually happened. Did any of the other two boys, were you there when they were actually killed? You say you got sick of what you were saying. Did you throw up or anything? Mm -hmm. Where did you throw up at? 
I got a little bit of ways after where it took a scene at. I was left about half a mile up the road was when I threw up stuff. I couldn't hardly run or nothing. I just threw up. When you left from where, did you leave running? Mm-hmm. Were you, you hiding? Hiding, hiding. You had some blood on your clothes? I had no blood on me. I, went, I didn't get close to them. Were your clothes wet still? Mm-hmm. They, they was damp. Muddy? Mm-hmm. All right, Inspector Gitchell touched on a point. Real, real close. Now, what clothes? Just in case anyone wants to make the argument that Ridge didn't know what he was doing or didn't mean to intentionally shift Jesse's narrative from 9 a.m. to nighttime, listen to this next bit. Was Jason wearing that day, that he, night? He, he was some blue jeans and some boots, like the army boots. Like. Army boots? And what kind of a shirt? I mean, you know, everybody wears a special shirt for different things. He was wearing a... Uh, a Megadeth shirt. A Megadeth? No, Megadeth Metallica. Metallica shirt. All right, was he wearing a cap? Anything like that? No, he didn't wear a cap. All right, Damien. What was Damien wearing? Damien had some black pants on, some boots, and a black t-shirt. All right, was there anything on his shirt? No, just no kind of design or anything? Just, just black. These blue jeans that Jason was wearing, they designer jeans, were they old jeans, wore out, holes? They wore out. What did it look like? They had holes in the knees and stuff. Holes in the knees. What color is Jason's hair? Blonde. Bright blonde or like a sandy reddish type blonde? You know the difference? It's like a sandy color blonde. Sandy color blonde? Okay. He's wearing blue jeans. He had a Metallica shirt. This is a shirt that's got Metallica across the front of it spelled out and a man's name or something under it or a picture. Is that right? You tell me. They had pictures. Picture of somebody? Different shirts have, you know, different Metallica shirts got different pictures. Which one did he have? He had the, uh, like a, the sky skull on it stuff like that. A skull? Okay. What were you wearing that day? I was just wearing Regular blue jeans, my shoes, and, and what kind of shoes were you wearing? My uh, Adidas. Adidas tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What kind of shirt were you wearing? I was just wearing a regular one of my old breezy up t-shirts. Okay. Was it a design shirt like this bull run type shirt, or was it just a plain white, plain white. old t-shirt? Where are these shoes at now? A friend of mine got them, he borrowed them. Alright, who is that? Buddy Lucas. Buddy Lucas? He borrowed them from me. The boots that Damien had on, are they army type boots too, or what kind of boots were they? It's, it's close, like army type, not, not quite. Okay. They're black, is that right? Lace up? And Jason's black lace up. Jason's black up to about three quarters wide. Oh, they come way up on him. Okay. Damien's didn't come up that far. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. When they 
killed the boys you decided to kill. You went home. How long after you got home before you received a phone call? 30 minutes? An hour? Um, an hour after you got home? Okay. So they were there for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. When he called you on the phone, did he say he just got in? Um, he, 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 he called me when he first got home, called me. He said, how come I, how come I left? How come I, I couldn't stand? I had to do some mails. Okay. And then you, just, you couldn't stand it. And then Damien, I heard Damien in the background saying, "We done it. We done it. What we gonna do now? What about if somebody saw us?" Okay. Did anybody see you leave? No. That you know of. That I know of. Did anybody see Damien and Jason? Oh no, I left before them. But have you heard anybody say that they saw Damien and Jason? Uh -huh. You hadn't heard anybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No What's happening here is Ridge is getting frustrated. Notice how he wants to make sure that Jesse is certain that no one told him that they saw the murders. This is because police had already been interviewing Aaron Hutchison and had played the, quote, nobody knows what happened but me clip to Jesse earlier. They're trying to get Jesse to corroborate Aaron's story at this point, but he's not taking the hint. Next, you're going to hear a little bit about something that very few people are aware of. June 3, 1993, is not the first time that Jesse went to the police with information about the murders. Two weeks earlier, he and two of his friends called police because they had witnessed an adult white male chasing three little boys down the railroad tracks near the woods. Jesse and his friends told police that the man had asked them to come to the woods to his, quote, camp to drink with him. Jesse told the police on May 15th that he was afraid of the man because of the murders that had occurred less than two weeks earlier, which is a pretty odd reaction for someone who supposedly participated in the murders and knew who the killers actually were. And for the record, the man that Jesse told police about did exist and was questioned by police. His name was Tracy Laxton, and he was found camping out behind the Goodyear Tire Building. We'll talk about him more later. Back to the interview. Now these initiations, you said they eat part of the leg muscles, oh, yeah. leg meat. Yeah. Would that involve eating part of the penis of the animal? Mm -hmm. Just the meat? Just the meat. Okay. Has Jason and Damien talked to you since this happened? They haven't talked to you about this? They, they, they ain't said nothing around me. Well, not because I'm around some of my friends. They don't say nothing. Well, when you've been by yourself, and I'm sure in the last three weeks you've been by yourself with them sometime. I mean, with Damien, he, he, he just uh, he keeps on asking me how come I left and stuff. And has anybody said anything to me about it? 
Okay. What did he say about when you came to the police department? That boy, you seeing that boy in the woods up there behind the Goodyear place? What did he say about that? He didn't know nothing about that. He didn't know that? Uh-uh. Okay. What about when you get with Jason by himself? I just, he keeps on asking me what we're going to do next. I told him, I, got, I can't do nothing now because I go work with my dad every day. I make an excuse because... So they're scared, is that right? They're scared because after what they did, I told them, I just bring up every excuse. I got to work with my dad every time or something. I do something. Well, what do you think ought to be done to them for killing these boys? I think they may be put away for a while. Put away for a while. Do you think they're sick or just mean? I think they're sick. They're sick. Okay. Is there anything else you want to add to this statement? No. Why did you not come forward with this information? Because I was scared. Scared of Damien or scared of the police? Scared of the police. Are you scared of Damien now? No. Are you scared of the police now? No. You're not? So we've treated you well. Okay. All right. I'm going to conclude this interview. The time is 3.18. At this point, Ridge and Gitchell conclude the interview and go to the prosecutor to obtain arrest warrants for Jesse, Jason, and Damien. Unfortunately, the prosecutor saw the flaws in Jesse's so-called confession. He never did get the time right. He doesn't know how the boys were bound. He thought Chris Byers was strangled to death with a stick, and that's just to name a few. Rather than considering the fact that Jesse Miss Kelly doesn't actually have a clue about what actually happened to Christopher, Stevie, and Michael, Ridge and Gitchell speak to Jesse off the record for a while and then turn the tape back on to, quote, clarify a few things. In this follow-up interview, you're going to hear some strange pops in silence. That was not done by us in edit. Those are places where the tape was stopped and started by the detectives. Here are the detectives helping Jesse to get his story straight. Take note of the first 30 seconds. Remember that when Jesse tried to give his first free-flowing narrative, he said that the murders happened in the morning. Ridge then backed him up till noon. Jesse then said the boys skipped school, and he never moved past the murders occurring at about noon. Ridge and Gitchell then talked to him without the tape running, and he comes right out of the gate saying that the boys got to the woods between 5 and 6 p.m. Also, take note before you hear this, that the sun set that day at 7.51 p.m. It started getting dark at the end of Civil Twilight, which occurred around 8.20 p.m. Let me sit there right here. Jesse, um... When, when you got with the, with the boys... And with Jason and Baldwin, when you three were in the woods and then the little boys come up, about what time was it when the boys came up to the woods? I say it was about five or so, five or six. Now, did you have your watch on at the time? Mm-hmm. You didn't have your watch on? Mm-hmm. Um, You told me earlier around 7 or 8 or which time is it? Now we're at 7 or 8 p.m. 
Again, Gitchell tells Jesse that he had, quote, told him earlier that it was seven or eight, and he just parrots the time right back to him. Are, are you angry? It's starting to get dark. Okay. Yeah. Remember, it's starting to get dark. Okay. Well, that, that clears it up. I didn't know. That's what I was wondering. Was it getting dark or, or what? Look, we got out there at six, but the boys came up when it was starting to get dark. Okay. So you and Jason... And Baldwin, uh, Damien, y'all got there right at six. Is that is that a normal time y'all meet at six? Yeah. Okay. When you do your cult stuff, is six? Does six mean something? I mean, is that a is that a time you normally do meet? Yeah. Okay. So y'all met out there at six, and and then the boys come up about what time? About seven o'clock. Okay. This is now turning into just an absolute cluster. Jesse gives Gitchell what would be a good sensory memory. The boys didn't come into the woods until it was getting dark, which would be 8 p.m. at best, an hour and a half after the boys went missing. Since that time needs to be pushed up, Gitchell walks him back to 7 p.m. The problem being that the sun was still nearly an hour away from setting at 7 p.m. It was nowhere near getting dark. As we get back into the interview, listen for the stops and starts of the tape recorder. So y'all were out there with the boys and all this stuff going on and it, until you noticed it started getting dark. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, are you sure about that? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Hold on just a minute. Okay, Jesse, um, I'd asked you about uh, your clothing, and you said that, uh, what, what were you wearing? I was wearing uh, blue jeans and a, a white shirt and some kind of basketball deal on it. Some tennis shoes. Alright, your shirt, was it a... What kind of shirt was it? It was a white shirt with a basketball on around it. Is it a shirt like you've got on now? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of shirt is it like you got on now? That's a, that's a what, a t-shirt? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had a, a white t-shirt with a basketball design on it? Okay. Um, what about shoes? What kind of shoes did you have on? White. Blue, Adidas. White and blue. Uh-huh. And who has those shoes now? Buddy Lucas. And how old's Buddy? He's about 18 or 19. Why, why does he have your shoes? We went, we was coming home for one day and it was raining. He didn't have nothing else for it, so I put on one of my shoes. Okay. And where does he live at? In Lake Shore. Is there? By uh, a church. Is there a street or anything? Yeah, there's a street, but they don't got no names on it, no. What street is the church on? On the street of Church Street, no. 
off of Cherry Street. Listen here to the difference in tone and confidence when Jesse is responding to a question that he actually knows the answer to. He's about to describe where his friend Buddy Lucas lives. Listen to the confidence and the details that he gives. It is a night and day difference compared to him trying to answer questions about the murder scene. Okay, are there any vehicles around close by that I could recognize that trailer? There should be a, a green truck and a brown van. And there's a basketball goal right there with a uh, green truck that the basketball goal. Right. Who tied the boys up? Uh, Damien. Did Damien just tie them all up, or did anyone help Damien? Or? Jason helped him. Okay. And what did they use to tie them up? A rope. Okay. What color was the rope? Violet. Once again, Jesse gives an answer. Gitchell doesn't like it, so he suggests the answer that he wants. Who tied up the boys? Damien. Just Damien, or did someone help? Damien and Jesse tied them up. And then we have the obvious problem that the boys were not tied up with a brown rope. But the issue is deeper than just the glaring factual error. Tying the boys up was a process. The killer or killers took the time to remove all of the laces from five different shoes before tying the boys up. Someone who was actually there would explain that detail and certainly wouldn't confuse that fact with just tying the boys up with some brown rope. A proper follow-up question, if you actually wanted to know the answer, would have been to ask where they got the rope. But at this point, Gitchell is savvy enough to know that had he asked that question, Jesse would have made up an answer that would have made the problem worse. So he just moves on to another topic. As we get back into the interview, listen closely for Jesse yawning. This is another very common indicator of deception. People do it without realizing it as they're trying to fabricate a response. Back to the interview. Did you ever see the boys in the water? Um, uh, yeah. Some by one. Alright. How did the boys get in the water? They uh, pulled them into the water. Alright, when you say they, who who is it that pulled them to the water? Jason and uh, Daniel. Do you wear a belt? Nope. Does Jason wear a belt? Mm-mm. Does Damien wear a belt? Yep. What kind of belt does he wear? A black leather belt with a beads, uh, like little beads around it. With beads around it? Like little beads, you know, stubbies and wheels. Okay. About how thick is the belt? About four inches. Now, do you know what four inches looks like? About like that. The belt was, I like Okay, I don't think that's quite four inches, but uh, probably about three, something like that. Which, which boys were raped?
He knows them by name and face enough to call Christopher the quote Myers boy. Did you did you see the more boy? Was he raped? No. Alright. Who raped those two boys? Jason and Daniel. Do you know which one raped which boy or how did that happen? Damien raped the Myers by his and Jason Daniel raped the the branch. Alright, give it to me again there. Damien raped uh, the Myers by himself, and Jason and Damien raped the branch. Did anyone have oral sex with the boys? Yes, Damien and Jason. How many of them did they do that to? Just two. Branch and Myers. <clears throat> How did they keep the boys quiet? Put their hands over their mouth. Did they do anything else other than put their hands over their mouth? How did they finally keep them from being quiet? Because the boys found them have been hollering. They stuck their hand over their mouth first and then, then they stuck a soap to their mouth. Okay, did they do anything else to them to make them be quiet? They, they stuck a thing in their mouth. Okay. Did they, were they hitting them before that or afterwards? Before and after. Just trying to keep them off of them. Just all the time? Trying to keep Jason and Benjamin off of them. Now they put those, whose shirts did they put in their mouth? Uh, Jason and um, Damien do each other, have sex with each other. Did they... Did they have any oral sex on the board? Yes, they, they, one of them stuck their thing in one of the boys' mouth while the other one got the other one up the butt and stuff. Okay, but did, did anyone go down on the boys and, and, and maybe suck theirs or something? No, that, I didn't see no, neither one of them did that. You didn't see that? Uh-uh. Okay. Did, did they pinch their penis in any way, or were rough with it, or anything like that. I haven't seen anything like that. Not rough with it. I just seen them. But you, did, you didn't see anyone go down on the boys? Mm-mm. Pay close attention during this last segment. You're going to hear the tape get stopped, and then started again. It appears that Gitchell stopped the tape, gave Jesse a Coke, and then comes back with him for the final piece that he needs for his narrative. The police were working on a theory at this point that the injuries to the boys' ears was due to their attackers holding them by the ears to force oral sex. This is the last we hear of the interview, and I believe that you will be thoroughly disgusted at how Jesse is manipulated into corroborating this. As soon as Gitchell gets what he wants, the very second Jesse says what he needs him to say, he immediately ends the interview. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. That Coke was kind of cold, huh? I tell you, it tasted pretty good to me, though. Um, Jesse, when... Now, the boy's hands are tied up, right? Yeah. How did... How did they force these boys to have oral sex on them? How did they have a hold of them? One of them had them by the arms. 
seconds, Jesse was manipulated into changing his story from the boys being held by their arms to being held by their ears. And this was enough to convince Fogelman to proceed forward with charging Jesse Miss Kelly, Damian Eccles, and Jason Baldwin with the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. After listening to this complete blow-by-blow analysis of Jesse's interview, I would have to question anyone who still believes that Jesse Miskelly actually knows anything about these murders. What you just heard was a 17-year-old boy with a documented mental capacity of a third grader doing his absolute best to tell police what they wanted to hear. His factual errors have nothing to do with him trying to distance himself from the murders. He's giving his best effort to provide the details that he simply does not have any knowledge of. He just doesn't know how the boys were tied up. He doesn't know that they weren't raped, and that's because at this point the police still thought that they had been. And neither the police or Jesse know that the boys were drowned. The irony in all of this is that the interview is touted as being the strongest and only piece of evidence that even places Damien, Jason, and Jesse near the scene of the murders. But the reality is, for anyone who is actually seeking the truth, This interview is actually proof of the exact opposite. Jesse Miss Kelly was manipulated by Ridge and Gitchell and used as a pawn to get their real target, Damian Eccles. Jesse did not have the capacity to fight off the suggestive and downright despicable methods of the detectives. Just like Aaron Hutchison, Jesse played their game because he thought it would put an end to the nightmare. And his attempted cooperation with the people that were supposed to be protecting him cost him 18 years of his life. The people that want to ignore everything that you've just been presented with today will no doubt direct your attention to Jesse's multiple confessions. After the trial, he allegedly confessed again to the cops that were transporting him from the courthouse to the jail then later even put his hand on a Bible and recorded a confession against his lawyer's advice in front of the prosecutors. So why would an innocent person repeatedly confess to a crime that they didn't commit? Well, to begin with, it needs to be pointed out that there is only one confession. Repeating the story multiple times does not constitute more confessions. It's also important to point out that this is very common, especially in false confessions. I'll use Jay Wilde from our Season 1 case as a perfect example. 
you all know my opinion that Jay's confession was coerced and was blatantly false. Experts Jim Clementi and Laura Richards came to the same conclusion after analyzing his recorded statements that Jay doesn't actually know anything about the murder. He was fabricating a false narrative, just like Jesse Miss Kelly. And what do we see with Jay? What we see is a grand total of eight different tellings of his story. And just like Jesse, every time he was presented with new information, he adjusted his narrative to fit the evidence. When he was presented with cell phone records, he changed the times of his narrative. Later, when presented with cell location data, he changed the locations of his narrative. When the police realized they had mistakenly misplaced one of the cell towers on the map, Jay confesses again and changes his narrative again to fit the new cell tower location. This continued on even years after the trial, when experts analyzed the lividity evidence on Hay's body and determined that his 7 p.m. burial time was impossible. And just as expected, Jay goes on the record again, confessing again, this time moving the burial back to midnight to match the newly discovered lividity evidence. The only difference between Jay and Jesse is that Jay actually has above-average intelligence. Jay, while he struggled to remember his lies from one interview to the next, he did have the ability to follow along with the narrative that the police were feeding him during each interview. Jesse was not able to do that. He literally gets every single detail wrong, even while guessing at what Ridge wanted him to say. However, just like Jay Wilds, after Jesse sat through the trial and learned what the prosecution thought actually happened, he makes several more attempts to, quote, help himself. And therein lies the answer to the question. Why would he continue to confess after he was already convicted? Think back to this initial interview. Why did he try so hard to confess to begin with? Because he was told that it was the only way to help himself. All that would take is for a cop or a prosecutor to tell Jesse that they could help him if he would help them convict Jason and Damien. Going into trial, Jesse believed that he would be acquitted and this would all be over. Then he was told that he had to spend the rest of his life in prison. So of course we would expect him to take what he perceived as a lifeline because he didn't understand the system or even what was happening to him. His lawyer, Dan Stidham, said that Jesse didn't even understand what a defense attorney was. He thought Stidham was a cop. But at the end of the day, even if you insist on believing that Jesse repeated his confession multiple times because he just wanted to get the truth out, or because he felt guilty, there is no way to get around the fact that Jesse never does get it right. He was never able to confess the actual details of the murders because he doesn't know what happened. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. And Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com designed and created our Season 5 logo. A special thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. 
And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.